really good news. My iPad so far this morning is not acted up. Last week, I don't know if you were here last week, it, it, uh, I loaded everything, everything was good, and I got up and it was gone. I didn't know what happened. And then second service, the same thing happened only in the middle of the sermon. It was great. Anyways, um, we're, uh, we're, we're continuing our series this morning called One. And uh, last week, uh, we, talked to, we, we, we talked about loving one person. Uh, this week, we're talking about the one mission uh, that God has given us. And so we're actually going to be in Revelation chapter 7 mostly. So if you have your Bibles, I want to encourage you to grab them, open them up. Uh, by the way, if you don't have a physical Bible... Um, and, and you would like one, that's, that's great. You can just, there's a couple back there. You can grab them on your way out. But also, you can get the, get the Bible on your phone. I have like three different versions on my phone. You can get a free uh, app called YouVersion uh, that has like the NIV and that kind of stuff on it. And so we use the NIV here on Sunday mornings anyways. And, uh, and so I encourage you to have a Bible somehow, however you, however you want to get it. Um, but we're going to continue uh, continuing our one series this morning. And as we do that, uh, or before we do that, I just want to go to God in prayer and ask him to prepare our hearts and our minds to hear his word this morning. Dear God, I thank you so much for your word. I thank you for this revelation that you gave John. And uh, Lord, as we look at a piece of this this morning, I pray that you would help our minds to understand well what you would have for us. Uh, Lord, that our hearts would be ready to embrace uh, this message and, and, and make it an integral part of our life, that your Holy Spirit would be at work in us. And I pray these things in your son's name, Jesus Christ. Amen. Eternity is in our hearts, isn't it? If you were here last week, you heard me talk a little bit about this, that we are built for something more. We are built for eternity. And I, I think this is so true. And we are so easily distracted by all the things of this world that we forget that we were actually created for eternity, something that transcends this world. And, and we're going to look at that a little bit more this morning. But the quest for eternal life or at least some form of utopian existence has been part of human, of human history for all of human history. It has been something that they have, we have sought over forever. The, the pastor in Ecclesiastes chapter 3 verse 11 says this. He says, He has made everything beautiful in its time. He has also set eternity in the, heart, in the human heart, yet no one can fathom what God has done from beginning to end. Eternity is in our hearts. It's something we all long for. It's something we all want. We want this utopian existence that we constantly strive after. The Gil Gilgamesh epic is one of the oldest pieces of literature that we have. It was written some 4,000 years ago, and it's known for all kinds of different reasons. But one of the stories that it tells is of a king in search of immortality. And this king is in search of immortality. He, he, he finds out about this, this, this plant that grows at the bottom of the sea. And, and he's told, if you can just get this plant, then you can, you'll have eternal life. You'll be immortal. And so he does. He, he goes, and I don't know how he gets it, but he gets down there. He gets the plant, right? And, and, and he has a plant. And as, as long as he has the plant, he seems to have immortality. But then something happens. A snake eats it. And the snake eats the plant, and he ends up just like everybody else. He eventually dies. But he wants immortality. He wants eternal life. He wants to live forever, and the reality is we're not that much different. We might not believe 
fables about plants that grow at the bottom of the sea. But we do other things like, like freezing, uh, uh, you know, freezing sperm and things like that so that someday we can have progeny even, even after we are long gone. Or we freeze our DNA so that in, in some future we can have some human version of Jurassic Park where they clone us and then all of a sudden we live once again even though we've actually died already. Sometimes it's not even those kinds of things, but it's, it's looking at technologies, like a technology called CRISPR. And in this CRISPR technology, it's based on a jellyfish that was found where this jellyfish can actually revert its life cycle to some degree. And so they're actually trying to edit the genome so that we can live forever. And, there's, and, and, and then there's the idea that maybe what we can do, and perhaps you've seen this, it's certainly made it into some popular television shows, this idea that we could take all our, all our thoughts, everything in our mind, and that we can upload it into the cloud. We'll live forever in the cloud, right? Or on some kind of, some kind of computer, that system where, where our mind literally exists in the hardware, in some hard drive somewhere. We search for immortality and eternity, and we can't help it. We can't stop, and there's other ways in which we've done this. But recently, the New York Times published an article with the title, The Church of Techno-Optimism. The Church of Techno-Optimism. And it's really about, more about politics, but it, it's, it's about the politics specifically of Silicon Valley. And, and, and basically what it... What it does is it goes and it looks at, at Silicon Valley and it begins to ask questions about how they vote and things like that. But here's what the underlying premise of what's going on. And the title of the article is so, so true when it calls it the church of techno-optimism. Because the whole idea is this, that, that Silicon Valley thinks that they can form the world in its own image and that they can create a world in which we will eventually, using technology, be able to create, create a utopia in which we will all live. See, we can't help it. Whether it's Facebook and Google trying to create the, the world in their own image through however, and whatever you think about, however they use their algorithms and what shows up on your screen when you type something in, let's just be clear. There are definitely purposes and motives in mind in those algorithms. It doesn't matter what it is, whether it's hacking the genome, using artificial intelligence, Facebook, Google, creating humanity in their own image. The quest for eternal life is on our hearts. And frankly, it is a mission that can only be accomplished by the church. You ever thought about that? We truly have the answer to the question that everyone's asking. No one goes, goes day to day and says, wow, life is just so wonderful. I hope nothing ever changes, right? Maybe for a moment, for a day, but the reality is life does change. Relationships get broken. Financial hardships are real. We end up with things like cancer or some other form of sickness. Eventually, that will kill us. The reality is we live in a fallen world and this world is imperfect and it's problematic and sometimes it's hurtful and it's sorrowful. That doesn't mean there isn't joy, there is. That doesn't mean there isn't abundant life, especially in Christ, but there, there is. But the reality of this world is not a utopian existence and yet we long for it. We seek after it. I long for it, do you? Revelation chapter seven, 
starting in verse 16. It says this, and I long for the day where this, these words are true. And just, if you have it, read along with me on the screen, or even just close your eyes and listen and contemplate what this existence might be like. It says this, never again will they hunger. Never again will they thirst. The sun will not beat down on them, nor any scorching heat. For the lamb at the center of the throne will be their shepherd. He will lead them to springs of living water. God will wipe away every tear from their eye. How great would that be? There are no more tears because there's no more sorrow. There are no more tears because there's no more mourning because someone you love and cherish deeply has passed or they've, they've come down with some kind of disease that will eventually kill them or some tragic accident has happened and it's marred their physical body and, and their new existence isn't like their old existence. There are no more tears because all the things that cause sorrow and relationships and, and, and broken homes and, and abuse and oppression and all of those things are all gone. They're 100% gone. There are no more tears because justice prevails. Everyone has food. Everyone has water. Everyone is healthy. Everyone has all that they need for life. What a great existence that would be, amen? You don't sound too convinced. I long for the day when those words are true. Then you can jump to Revelation 21. We'll put it on the screen if you don't want to turn the pages. But we're going to start reading in verse 3, and it says this, And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. Listen to these next words. It echoes what we just read. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the older, for the order, old order of things has passed away. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Then he said, write this down for these words are trustworthy and true. God is gonna make everything new. What is it that concerns you in this world? What is it that, that, that burdens you? Are you, are you concerned about the environment? There will be no environmental issues because everything will be created new. Are you concerned about human trafficking? There will be no human trafficking because there will be total and complete justice. Are you concerned, are, are you concerned about sickness? Are you concerned about death? Are you concerned about broken relationships? Are you concerned about resentment that other people might have towards you or that you have towards other, other people? What is it that burdens you? What is it that concerns you? Because when God creates everything new, it'll all be gone. And God will be your God and you'll be with him. Amen? How good and great will that be? Don't get me wrong. It isn't that I don't find joy and abundance in this life. Because I do. There are beautiful, wonderful things in this life. God's common grace has shown itself in this life. But I do long for the day when justice will prevail. Not my version of justice and not your version of justice, but true justice that is better than my version and better than your version. 
God's common grace given to this world is amazing. And occasionally it gives us glimpses of what is to come. An amazing eternity where justice will reign. A couple of weeks ago, I was sitting down with a friend of mine. And uh, this friend of mine, uh, he's a young guy. He's, he's younger than I am by more than a decade. And, uh, and, but he's already been battling cancer for a lot of years in his life. It's just a battle that he's had ongoing. It comes, it goes, it comes, it goes, it comes, it goes. You know, it comes, they, they do treatment, and, uh, and it goes, and then, you know, and they, they seem, he be, seems to be doing really well, and his body reacts to all these things. His body has been through, much, so, through so much because of all these treatments and, um, and things like that. And, and, and we were talking, and one of the things I talked about was, man, I can't wait for the day when he's healed. I cannot wait for the day when he doesn't have to go in for treatment anymore. Because no treatment is necessary. We think that death is the end, but really it's just the beginning of all that is to come. Now, hear me clearly. We don't want to seek after death, right? We don't want that. That's part of the fall. That's part of the curse. That's part of the broken world we live in. We don't seek after it. But when the time comes, as Christians, we ought to recognize it's really not the end. There's so much more. The question is, what are we doing today to prepare for the life that's come? How are we preparing for that in this world? Well, there's one mission. God gave the church one mission. And and a lot of times, you know, we might go back to Matthew chapter 28. We'll do that in a couple weeks. Um, We're not going to do that today. We're going to look at the mission a little bit differently. Because we need to start with the end in mind. Because the mission starts with the end in mind. You don't ever start a mission and then go, I wonder what, we're, what the outcome's supposed to be. You know, the, the army doesn't go, all right, guys, you're infantry, and we're going to send you over here to fight a battle. We don't really know what our preferred ending is. You just guys just go over there and, like, shoot stuff. Like, that's not a good strategy, right? I mean, that's really bad. Whenever you, whenever you begin to do something, you have an end in mind. When you begin to clean the kitchen, what's the end that you're looking for? A clean kitchen, right? You don't ever go, well, I think I'm just going to walk in the kitchen. Now, what, what, what's the end? What's the purpose of me being here, right? Like, that's not how it happens. We, we go out, the, the car starts making a noise, and we, we start to take it apart because we're going to fix it. What's the, what's the goal? What's the end that we hope for? A fixed car, right? Like, we, we don't generally do things without some kind of end in mind. We don't get up in the morning and go to work thinking, I'm just going to go to work. What do we have as an end in mind? Now, there might be different answers to this, but there's an end. What is it? What's, what's yours? Say it out loud. Paycheck, Right? So for a lot of you, it's a paycheck because I got to get paid because I got bills to pay and, or a vacation I want to go on or, or whatever it is that you're, that you're doing. Or maybe it's, you just, I just really love my job because I work for a drill bit company and I love to help people put holes in things. Like you just have a weird passion about having people put holes in things. And so you decide I'm going to work for the drill bit company. I, I don't know. Right? But whatever it is, even, even if you've got some weird kind of crazy passion, you have an end in mind. Right? You have a purpose for doing the things you do. If you're crazy enough to decide that you want to run a lot, why? Now, I run a fair amount. Can I just tell you, I still don't love running. I've made friends with it. We're kind of like acquaintances that put up with each other. You know what I mean? But I have an end in mind, right? I want to be in better shape. 
There's an end. There's a goal. There's a telos in mind. Well, that's true for the church, too. When it comes to the mission that God has given us, we start with the end in mind. And sometimes we forget that in the church. Sometimes we, we spend so much time, everybody runs to, to Matthew 28, and for good reason, there's good reason to go to that text, and we are going to go to that text in a couple of weeks. There's good reason to go to that text and to, and to think about that text where it says, go, go therefore make disciples of all nations, right? And we go, that's the mission, right? But the mission doesn't start without an end in mind. And that's what we're looking at today. That mission starts with an end in mind. And we've started to explore that already because we've started to dream and to think about the day when Jesus will come back and he will establish his kingdom and we won't have to worry about going to the doctor. Praise Jesus, right? I mean, some of you guys are like, I ain't going to the doctor anyways. I know, but on this side of eternity, that means you die. I'm just saying, right? And we, 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 you know, as you get older, and you know, I'm not speaking from experience by any means, but um, as you get older, you have these doctor's appointments. And I actually, my mom's a nurse, and I asked her, I go, well, at what point do I have to start worrying about, like, I have to go get these, you know, different things tested as I get older? Because I don't know, and I don't know what I'm supposed to get tested or for and when, and, and I'm getting on the verge of getting older. We'll just put it that way, right? And so, and so you know, I'm asking, well, what do I, what do I need to do? I don't, you don't have to go to the doctor anymore. We begin to brainstorm. There's not going to be relational discomfort and relational uh, sorrows and and brokenness that we have to deal with in the new heavens and the new earth. God is going to come back. And he's going to establish an end that is filled with, as many beauty pageant participants have famously said many, many times, it will be filled with world peace. Right? Finally, their dreams will be established. There will be no more hunger. Justice will reign. God's glory will be seen. There will be no more tears. There will be no more cancer or disease. There will be no more politics. Praise Jesus. <laughs> right? No more political commercials because there will be one king and he will rule and it will be, he will be a good king. How good will it be? It's not only what there won't be, but what there will be. There will be peace and love and unity will reign in the light of God's glory. What an amazing end it will be. Of course, when we say end, we're not talking about the end of time. We're talking about purpose. We're talking about the goal. We're talking about the telos. The end isn't the timeline. The end is what the goal is, and we will have accomplished the goal. God will have accomplished the goal that he sought out to desire when he gave the mission to the church. Have you ever planted a garden? We have, and then we got dogs, and that ended. But we have, when we didn't have dogs for a couple years, we planted some gardens, and it was great. But it's interesting because you don't ever go into the garden, right? And you, and, you, and you don't ever plant the garden. Not that I'm an expert. By far, not an expert. But, you know, but, but we were able to grow some stuff. Made some great salsa. It was great. But we, we, we put these little tiny seeds, right? You, like you dig them. You dig a hole. You put a little fertilizer in there. You know, you, you make sure it's watered really well. You cover it up and you can't even see it. You, as a matter of fact, you put little things in the garden so that you know where stuff is early on, right? Amen? Help me out. I, okay, because I'm not sure. I'm not a good gardener, so you guys got to help me here. All right, so we put them, and, and we, here's what we don't do. We don't just take all the seed, like here's the corn, 
right? Here's this corn seed that we got that there. And here's our, uh, our, our onions and here's our tomatoes and, and, and all these things. We don't just dump them all in all the seeds in one container and then go out there and just go, woo, right? Like we don't do that, right? Why don't, why don't we do that? Because we have a specific end in mind, a goal. We won't know what fertilizer to put where because different plants have different needs for sun, right? And, and all these different things. So we, we have a plan and a strategy in mind. And so we begin to plant the seeds, in, in the right places, with the right fertilizer, with the right sun exposure, with the right, all the other stuff that I have no idea what I'm talking about, right? And then we grow it. And we have an end in mind. And the end, for me, because we grew like jalapenos and stuff like that, so the end for me was salsa. <laughs> Homemade salsa. That was my end. When we, uh, when we practice the mission of the church, we start with the end in mind. Maybe you remodeled your house. It's the same thing. You have a certain idea of what it would look like. Even if you didn't drop plans, you knew what you were striving after. When we set out to accomplish a purpose or mission, we start with the end in mind. When it comes to the mission of the church, we often forget the point. We hear about evangelism or outreach or whatever, we forget the point. And I truly believe that the reason that sometimes we lack in our desire to be evangelistic, to tell people about the good news of Jesus Christ, is because we forget about the end. We forget about the purpose. Forget about why we're doing it. We kind of come to this place where we think, well, I'm a Christian, and, and my pastor of my church just told me I was supposed to do it, so that's what I'm supposed to do. Like, that's as far as we get. We forget that there is an end in mind, that God has a, a purpose and an end in mind, and it is extremely important. As great as all of, all, as all of that is, it's only a piece of what the eternal kingdom will be. It will be p- filled with people from all nations. If we go back to chapter 7, and we go up to verse 9, it says this, After this, this is the opening of the seals in, in Revelation. We're not to the new heavens and the new earth. It's still looking forward to that, right? But, but after this, after this, the, the, the last seal, after this, I looked. And there before me was a, a great multitude that no one could count. Reminds me of Abraham and the promise God made there, by the way. From every nation, tribe people and language standing before the throne and before the lamb they were wearing white robes and were holding palm branches in their hands that sounds familiar too doesn't it the triumphal entry that we celebrate palm sunday the week before easter and they cried out in a loud voice salvation belongs to our god who sits on the throne and to the lamb of god it's a description of what the, what the church will be. People from every nation, every language, every background, they will come before the throne and they will be worshiping God and it will be beautiful and there will be a multitude of them and there will be more than we can count and they will be singing out and praise to God. It will be amazing. And John gets a glimpse of this in the Revelation chapter 7 and he looks still forward to that moment in a sense that's the end 
when all of humanity who has put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ is gathered together from all kinds of backgrounds and they are worshiping God. That's the picture. That's the end goal. That's what we want. God will be there. He will be present and they will be with him and he will be, with, he will be their God. Which is a phrase, by the way, we see throughout Scripture over and over again, especially in the Old Testament. We see it again here in the book of Revelation. John gives us a vision of what the accomplished mission looks like. People from all nations, cultures, and ethnic groups responding to the grace and the mercy of Jesus Christ and receiving salvation for all eternity. Don't forget who the chosen people of God are. I think we forget this as Americans. We do live kind of a unique existence in in human history in a lot of ways uh, in the United States. We experience freedoms that the vast majority of people in human history just didn't experience. And we are are so blessed in so many ways. And, And because of that blessing, sometimes we get a little used to the idea. You know what I mean? And we kind of experience these freedoms, and we just kind of think, well, isn't this like like what what everybody experiences? And it's not. We're very blessed, and because of that blessing, sometimes we think, or I don't know if it's an active thinking as much as a passive acceptance of the idea that that we are actually God's chosen people. The Jews are God's chosen people. That's what Scripture teaches. And so we, we forget that. We are part of the all nations. We are part of the other. We are part of everyone else. Unless you're Jewish. If you're Jewish, God's chosen people. But you were chosen to be a blessing to the nations, right? I mean, that's what Genesis 12 talks about. In the Abrahamic covenant. And, and, and so there's this idea that sometimes we think that, that we are part of, you know, that everybody is, I, you know, I know there's going to be people from all nations and all cultures and all languages, but clearly we'll be worshiping in English, Right? Yeah, see? You were thinking that. And as soon as I said it, you went, oh my goodness, that's so true. I was so thinking that. I just kind of passively accepted this idea that, of course, all the songs would be written in English by Chris Tomlin, of course, right? I mean, it's, duh. David and Chris Tomlin, I guess David could be in there too. Right? I mean, that's kind of, we have this perception of how things are going to be. But we're part of the all nations. We're part of all of these ethnic backgrounds. And, and even in this room, we have a bunch of different ethnic backgrounds that come together on, on, on Sunday morning. But this is such a small microcosm of what we will see in that moment when all of these nations and all of these people will be gathering. And I really think that in some weird way, I don't know how it works, right? But I think everybody will be worshiping in their own language and at the same time, we'll all understand it. I mean, that's just... I don't know if it's going to be like that, but that's how I see it, right? That's, my, that's what my imagination takes the text. That's what my imagination does with the text. That's the end in mind. The goal is, is that we would all come together and worship and glorify God. Nations and ethnic groups and languages and cultures because we have all followed the one Savior, the one Jesus, the one who went to the grave, the one who, who died and rose again and now waits for that moment when his church will be gathered. Don't forget who the chosen people are because it's not Americans. But we are part of the nations. And it has always been God's plan. Whether we look at, the, at, at, at Abraham or even in the prophets, when it, there's these moments like in Isaiah where it talks about the nations coming together and worshiping. 
Here's what I want you to remember this morning. The mission of the church is the gathering of people from all nations to the throne of God. We are the church. We are the church. This is what every church should be about, the proclamation of the gospel of Jesus Christ as the multitude proclaim, proclaimed in, in Revelation 7. We just read, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and if you go all the way to the new heavens and the new earth and you go to Revelation uh, chapter 21, the very end of that chapter and the very beginning of chapter 22, and you can do that at another time, it again speaks of the nations being drawn together as it describes the new Jerusalem because there's this new heaven and there's this new earth, right? And there's a new Jerusalem. And, and the nations are gathered together at this new Jerusalem and there's no sun anymore because all the light comes from God. He emanates light. His glory is the light that lights the earth. And they're all drawn to him to, to, to give to him all the riches of all the nations they bring together, as it talks about in Isaiah chapter 60. And it talks about the bringing together of all these nations and the riches that they bring. And they're, and they're putting them at the feet of God because his glory is known and we are in the presence of God. Do you know why Moses covered his face? When he saw the back of God, because God's glory so impacted him, right? And he went back to the people, and he had to have a veil because God's glory was seen through him, and the people were afraid because they experienced God's glory. They were afraid that they were going to die because God's glory was so amazing. You go to Isaiah chapter 6, and he experiences the same thing. He has this vision of God. He's in the throne room of God, and he sees God's glory, and his immediate response is this. He says, woe to me, for I am a man of unclean lips. And I'm among a people of unclean lips. Why did he say that? Because he understood the sin in his life and that he was impure and imperfect and that he was in the presence of God and that he was going to die because of God's holiness and righteousness. And yet in the end, we will be in God's presence and we will not fear death because we will have received the righteousness of Jesus Christ. We will stand in front of God, glorified and ready to be there and, and and knowing that I am saved, I have, I have experienced the salvation of Jesus Christ. The most selfish thing that we could ever do is not tell other people about this. Because they too are part of all nations. We need to start with the end in mind. Why do we do this stuff? Why do we have a special Sunday that's dedicated on October 27th to bringing somebody to church? Is it because we just want more people in our church? No, not at all. It's because every person is a soul, is an image bearer of Jesus Christ because every person needs to know the gospel. Everybody needs to know of this glorious end that we can look forward to. Every person needs to know why Jesus went to the cross. Every person needs to not only know those things, but to receive those things so that we can stand shoulder to shoulder to shoulder with them as we worship God in English, of course. Right? We start with the end in mind. What's the mission of the church? To share the gospel? Yes. To make disciples? Yes. 100% but it's almost like that's more the strategy. The mission is what happens at the end. 
That's why we do it. That's why we do this stuff. That's why we look at people and we see that they are created in the image of God and you begin to think, okay, that's great, John. I'm not sure I know how to do all this. Well, I want to give you some three practical steps in a minute, but before, before that, I want to share with you something Russell Moore said. He said this, Jesus will build this church with or without us. But if we are going to be faithful to him, we must share his mission. So how do we do it? How do we do it? Three things. You ready? Here they are. Pray, proclaim, persist. See how good of a pastor I am? Did you see that alliteration there? I actually hate alliterations. <laughs> but, but this one just came to me. Pray, proclaim, persist. Right? Pray, proclaim, persist. Here's the thing. Hopefully, you're doing your devotional, right? You've got your devotional, and, and, you've, and you were doing it this past week. And on day two, I think it was, right? Was it day two? What did I ask you to do? Write down five or six names, right? And begin praying for them by name. It was day two. By name. We should always be praying. If, there's not, if there are not people in your life that need the gospel of Jesus Christ, change your life and put people in your life that need the gospel of Jesus Christ. Find a way to do it. Get a hobby that there's other people that like to do. Maybe there's a gardening group. Maybe there's you know, a, a cycling group, a running group, a, a, a painting group, or whatever. There's, become part of something in the community so that you're around people because those people are there and they need to hear the gospel. And if we are going to be faithful to Jesus, as Russell Moore said, then we will be part of his mission. He doesn't need us, but he wants us to be participants. Pray should always have people you're praying for and sharing the gospel and bringing to the knowledge of Jesus Christ. Proclaim! Talk to them about it. If you don't know what to say, just ask them. Hey, what's your religious background? Man, you, you might think, well, I don't like the word religious. Okay, fine. Use whatever word you want, but everybody else in the world uses the word religious, and they will know what you mean if you use that word. So just say, what's your religious background? oh, well, you know, I grew up this way or that way, or I don't know, I haven't really thought about it, or, or whatever. And just start to listen. Just start with that and look for those opportunities to say, man, you know what? Here's, here's my background. Here's why I've learned about Jesus, and here's why I follow him. I mean, I, just start. Start proclaiming the good news of Jesus Christ, his death, his burial, his resurrection, and his imminent coming again to establish a world that they desperately want and all of humanity is seeking. Proclaim. And then persist. Do it again. Rinse and repeat. Pray, proclaim. Pray, proclaim. Pray, proclaim. Pray, proclaim. That's how it goes. The rest of your life, once you know Jesus Christ, should be filled with those first two steps. That should never, ever stop. There's never a time when that goes away. I hope every one of you is praying for five or six people. Proclaim the, proclaim the gospel is it's difficult, right? And, and you may go, well, I'd really like to get some more training. We're working on some things. You're going to get some more training. There's going to be opportunities for that. I just want you to know that. We want to equip you. That's going to come. But you can always ask a question and listen. And you'd be surprised at what the Holy Spirit will help you with along the way. I don't know about you. I've invited some people to come on October 27th. Um, and so here's what we're going to do over the next couple weeks. And you might be uncomfortable with this. Get over it, okay? 
Oh, I'm, I'm sorry, I'm supposed to be more pastoral. Um, you might be uncomfortable with this, but we're all about getting outside of our comfort zones. And this will be a good challenge for you. That was my pastoral way of saying it. Okay. <laughs> well, here's what we're going to do. We're going to, over here to my left, and I'm going to do it right now. We're going to, during worship, and we're going to have communion in a minute, but during worship, during song, you can come up here, and you're going to write their first name on, on this line here, right? I'm going to write one of, one of the first names that I did this past week right now. You're just going to write their first name on there. Then you're going to take this, one of these tacks, just like this, and you're just going to tack it on the cross. Just like that. It won't fall on you, I promise. And it's going to be a constant reminder, that, well, for the next couple weeks, of the people that we're praying for. Not because we want to have a full Sunday, but because we want to see people come to know Jesus Christ. And have a relationship with him. Become fully committed disciples and followers of Jesus Christ. That's the end goal. So that they will be shoulder to shoulder with us, worshiping God in the end. Amen? So I want to challenge you guys. In a minute, we're going to do that. Before we do that, though, I want to stop and remember why all this salvation stuff is even possible. It's because of Jesus Christ and what he's done. So I'm going to pray, and then we're going to take a little bit of time and take communion this morning. Dear God, I thank you so much for the gospel of Jesus Christ. I thank you so much that you have put people in our lives or that you will put people in our lives that we can love and pray for, that we, can, we have the privilege of being part of your mission for your church. What a glorious thing that is, God. Thank you so much. Lord, I pray for all of these people that will be tacked up there, all the people that we're talking to. I pray that you would be glorified. Not really because of anything we do, but because of what your son Jesus Christ did. And that you'll be glorified in the proclamation of the gospel of the good news of Jesus Christ. I pray these things in your son's name. Amen. If you're helping